This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello and welcome to Good Things, the show where we talk to good people who are doing good things. I'm Dashan Johan. Kase Hospice is a non-governmental organisation focused on palliative care. They provide medical, emotional and spiritual support for patients and their families at hospitals or at a patient's home. Best part is they do so free of charge. So joining me on the show today to share about Kase Hospice is Dr. Munira Ibrahim, Family Medicine Specialist and Hospice Doctor at Kase Hospice. Welcome to the show, Dr. Munira. Tell me a little bit about Kase Hospice. Hi, Dashran. Thanks for having me on the show. Okay, so Kase Hospice Foundation, as it's called now, actually started a long time ago, back in 1997. It started with basic services with um, a few people coming together to provide what we call palliative care services to to the community. And we've come a long way since then. We've grown in our team, our medical team, in our board of directors, Our team is now much bigger than it was, and we are serving a a much bigger population um, of palliative care patients in the community. Um, So what we aim to do is provide palliative care services in the community, which is not yet available through the government. And so all palliative care services in the community are provided by NGOs like ourselves. Right. And what exactly do you do at Pasi Hospice? In Cassie Hospice, we have a team of doctors and nurses who go out to see patients in their homes in the community, basically. Our patients are palliative care patients, and that means patients with life-limiting illnesses. Now, this could cover a huge range of medical conditions, such as end-stage cancer, end-stage organ failure, and some long-term illnesses. At Kasi Hospice, we mainly cover end-stage cancer and also end-stage renal failure. Um, And these are the patients that we go out every day to see in their homes to provide them with not just medical support, but also psychological and spiritual support to patients and also their families. And it has become a um, a, a valuable service that is very valued by patients and their families in the community. So, um, for those who may not know, right, Dr. Munira, what exactly is hospice? Okay, it's actually, it's actually an interesting question, uh, Dashran, because um, hospice means different things in different countries. Right. And I'll share a little bit more about this because um, I trained in the UK. So, I did my GP specialist training there, or my family medicine specialist training. And part of that was doing a six-month um, in, hosp- in hospice. In the UK or perhaps other uh, advanced or Western countries, hospice actually is a different institution outside hospital. So if you say you're going to hospice, it's like a more like a, a resort style building where um, patients can go f- to have their symptoms controlled and then go back home right. or they just go there for respite if their family needs some, some rest or they actually go there to die. So it is a beautiful place with, you know, inpatient beds, but it's not like hospital at all. It's a really lovely place to be in. And they also have community teams. So teams that go out into patients' homes and provide medical care at home. Now, coming back to Malaysia, most of our hospice services throughout the country are home-based. 
And this is actually mainly because it's very, very expensive to run an inpatient hospice unit. And we're, I still dream of one and I hope we get there one day. We do actually have two inpatient units, in P, one in Penang and one in Johor, but the rest are all run through providing services in the home because it's a much more um, cost-efficient way to provide it. And also, I think in our Malaysian setting, many people still prefer to be at home and we do try to provide um, home care, which is the best care that we can try and achieve. But besides that, um, palliative care is also provided by hospitals. So say if we don't manage to control patient symptoms within the home, or they don't have any suitable carers at home, or for whatever reason, we still have hospital as a backup. So we do have some hospitals with palliative care units where patients can go for symptom treatment or perhaps for end of life as well. So our journey basically um, follows the patient and supports the patient from the time that they are diagnosed with a life-limiting illness all the way up till the end of life. And there is some misperception about hospice. So a lot of people associate it with end of life only, like right. only when you're dying, like at the point of dying. And that's actually a myth because actually we prefer for people to be referred earlier on to us so that we can you know, we can know our patients, we can know the families and we can give them support right from the beginning and not just at the very end. Obviously, end of life is important for us because we believe in keeping our patients comfortable mm. and having a good death. And that includes a lot of preparation months beforehand, you know, medically, psychologically, spiritually, and also for families as well to help them to um, accept, you know, the, the the illness that their loved one are facing and help them to go through that journey, which can be very challenging, very painful and very lonely. Um, and, and doing this, you know, every day, we know that this is such a crucial service to provide that the support is just invaluable. Is there a difference between um, palliative care and hospice care or is it uh, more or less the same, especially when looking at it um, within the context of Malaysia? Okay, yeah, again, so I think the, all these terms come, come across quite um, confusing, right? right? What's palliative care? And, and even palliative care is quite new in Malaysia. A lot of people don't even know what, what is that. And, mm -hmm. and many times when people ask me where I work, hospice, do you mean like hospital? You know, people still <laughs> don't know what hospice is. And I mean, I'm right. used to that. But I mean, just to say the awareness is such that even if you ask a doctor or a nurse about palliative and hospice care, some will not be able to answer mm. that question. So we are still in the phase of making you know everyone aware what is palliative care what is hospice care so palliative care is basically the bigger umbrella covering both hospital and also hospice care whereas hospice care basically means community um so in you know in, in the community as opposed to in hospital so we'd say that palliative can probably be divided especially in Malaysia into hospital care and also community hospice care that's probably how I would I would define it in in Malaysia right and how vital is um hospice uh, whether it's hospice or just palliative care in general um in a patient's journey Absolutely crucial. There's no doubt to it. And it's just wanting to, the need to help everyone to understand from ground level to top level, including the government, to, to, to know that this is, this is, you know, each and every one of us will come into this world, be born, and we will leave this world. We will die. And our medical services shouldn't just cover from the time we are born to when we are 
well to a certain degree, you know, it should cover the whole of our lives. And if we're talking about taxpayers' money, we do pay tax for, for our medical services. So it should really cover everything. And I think, I don't think that, you know, I, I think it's, again, it's awareness. So we, we one of our, um, you know, main aims is actually to help everyone to understand that this is crucial in somebody's medical care, that we do want to take care of somebody all the way up till the end of life. And we do want to support dying at home because it's the best place to be when you're, when you know it's your time, when uh, you want to be among your loved ones, where you may have what to have prayers according to your, you know, religious background, um, and just be in the comfort of your own home. And it's so possible with hospice care. Um, in hospital, they would actually administer the same medications, but you're just in a very different environment. It's very busy. It's very unpersonalized. You know, there's limited people who can come, especially now with COVID. It's just not the same as, as having that end of life at home. So we really, really feel that this is just, you know, there's no, there's no doubt to it. It's crucial. And actually, even though I say that, our services cover um, end of you know end stage cancer and also end stage renal failure. You can argue that everyone needs palliative care at the end of their life, and this is actually the ideal. So the ideal we want to get one day is that as as somebody approaches the end of life, everybody can get palliative care services, and it's heartbreaking today to have to say no to others who who are asking for our services purely because of limited resources. Um, so say like in the UK where I trained, um, palliative care would include all old people um, and we would actually have care plans in advance, you know, where do they want to die? If they suddenly fall ill, do they want to go back to hospital? Do they want to stay in their homes? And we will provide palliative care a home for them. So this is, this is where we are looking to uh, hopefully in the years to come. Let's go back to, to the organisation Kase Hospice. Um, if you have any um, idea, could you share what was the inspiration behind the founding of this organisation? Yeah, thank you. Well, I, I'm actually quite a, a young member of the organisation. Right. I've only been there for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and it's, it's been here since 1997. So mm-hmm. initially, it started um, under the... It was a community service in uh, 2005, it developed into Kase Hospice Care Society. And then in 2020, we are now Kase Hospice Foundation. So um, we've, we've definitely come along. We're now a, a huge, it started with, just off with volunteers to begin with, um, you know, trained in uh, palliative care. And now we have three doctors um, and a team of nurses and, and a huge team of directors. And also, and we also have our administrative staff who are crucial in, um, you know, the running of the organization. So we're, but relatively, we're still a small family. Family as opposed to some bigger institutions. Um, and our motto is with compassion, we care. So we really believe in um, compassion as our core of, of, for providing palliative care services to our patients and their families. And why did you decide to join the organisation? Yeah, I probably think taking the path less taken, shall we say, the road less taken. So when I did my GP specialist training, believe it or not, all my medical life, I wanted to quit medicine. (laughs) I I know, I mean, I graduated in 2007. Right. I just, you know, every time I felt like maybe medicine isn't for me because I didn't find that calling. I was like, where do I fit in? I just didn't quite fit in anywhere. Until I did my GP specialist training, I thought I'm, I'm a family medicine specialist. That, that's kind of the closest where I got to. And then when I did my six-month stint in hospice, I was like, this, 
this is my calling. This is me. This is where I belong. And I just fell in love with palliative care, especially community palliative mm-hmm. care. And that's why when I graduated um, in my MRCGP in at the end of 2019, I when I came back to Malaysia, I, I immediately looked for, you know, hospice services in Malaysia. It's definitely not the same as where I, I trained, um, but I'm so blessed to have that experience to train there because now I can see where I would like to bring us to, you know, where, what we could possibly become. And it's, um, it is a dream I really, really hope I can achieve one day, hopefully. What about palliative care that changed your mind? Um, what about it spoke to you? Yeah, you know, I, I find it really bizarre myself because I'm quite a loud person. And I thought, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I have my extrovert side and I right. thought I'm going to be like an emergency specialist or like an obs and gynae, you know, surgeon. <laughs> And I just, it, it all scared me. I was like, I was surprised. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not fit for this. <laughs> um, and actually what what uh, what uh, pulled me towards family medicine uh, was the fact that I had time to speak to patients. I I could connect with patients. I could follow them through their journey, um, supposedly from when they were born to the time, you know, to the end. Um and so I, I like that, but but family medicine uh, is very busy. But palliative care is like you actually have the time to sit down and really know your patients, really understand their struggle and really support them through a very critical time in their life and at a point that they're very vulnerable. And I just feel that 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 is me, like that is how I want to help patients and their families. And the thing is, it's so hard to measure what we do because by the time our patients have passed on, you know, you you can't. And it's just inappropriate to ask, you know, how how do you think? And, and, right. But I'm sure, I'm absolutely sure that what we do is just um, invaluable to them and also the families because families often find it a, such a lonely journey. Who do we ask for help? Who knows? What do we do if some, suddenly our loved one is sick in the middle of the night? Who can we call? Who can come and see them? It's such a scary um, experience and, and always on the edge of thinking, you know, what will happen? And just to know that we are here at the end of a phone call. But you're right, Dashran, not everyone can do this. And, and you know, you really have, it's not a tick box job. You can't just come to work with like no heart in it. Your heart has to be there. You know, you actually have to create space in your heart to be able to accommodate somebody else's very challenging journey and their family with them. So you've got to have the right heart to do this. And 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 that's what I love about my team as well. And everybody in palliative care, we all have that heart. And it, again, it's it's an honour and a pleasure to be to be in this field. On the show with me today is Dr. Munira Ibrahim, family medicine specialist and hospice doctor at Kase Hospice. After the break, I ask her how community hospices improve accessibility to palliative care across the country. We'll be right back on Good Things, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Good Things. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Munira Ibrahim, family medicine specialist and hospice doctor at Kase Hospice. Dr. Munira, you know, when I speak to other um, specialists um, in other areas of medicine, um, other surgeons, they talk about how compassion is, it's of course, necessary, but they talk about how they need to be emotionally detached from their patients. They shouldn't get too close to them, you know, otherwise it can sort of um, compromise the surgery. They might be overthinking and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, but listening to you speak, it feels like... Um, Palliative care um, is, is kind of the opposite of that in the sense that you need to be emotionally invested. In fact, that is perhaps the most important thing. You need to really care for the patient. Is that a, a fair assessment? 
Absolutely. You know, um, it's interesting. It's actually a journey that I've, I've learned to kind of um, develop. So I think, I believe compassion is absolutely critical for mm-hmm. any doctor, right. anybody providing medical services. And I think that's something that we need to focus on in the training of all medical uh, doctors and nurses, anybody providing medical care. Because without compassion, without the, the right heart to to provide the best for your patient, you know, it can, we can go kind of, we can divert from the true, you know, kind of the the, the true purpose of of caring. We need to care. We need to care. And that runs across the board for any specialty. So I would say that you need to care about your patients. But yes, in palliative care, actually the, the the, 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 the most important skill that we all need to have is is communication actually mm-hmm. is the ability to ask or to discuss about very difficult questions about death and dying about the fears about about somebody's perhaps their their struggles in their approach to knowing that they will leave this world in a couple of months perhaps spiritually perhaps socially with their family perhaps personally within themselves um, they are very, very difficult conversations to have, and communication skills is absolutely cru- crucial. You can imagine, for somebody to actually open up to somebody, you need to trust them in the first place. Right. So we have to be able to have those conversations with patients, with families, and th- there's so much emotion that comes into that. And for our staff, we have to know how to manage them. At the same time, we also have to know where to where to have that boundary, where, you know, to manage our own emotions at the same time. So that that is the skill that we have to develop as part of a palliative care team. And it's difficult because sometimes you do, you do kind of cross right. the and it's like, this is, it can be very, I've cried for my patients, I've cried mm-hmm. about my patients. Um, I've cried with parents for their children. I've cried with, you know, family members for their loved ones. And But I think that's just part of being human, sharing that very difficult journey, but also, at the same time, as providers, we have to know how to look after ourselves as well so that we're not kind of dragged down or, uh, uh, you know, overwhelmed. But that that is very difficult. I, I agree with you. Um, so so is that in itself is a skill to be able to be emotionally available for them, but also to be able to maintain that boundary for us so that we are still being professional and looking after ourselves at the same time. So so perhaps I would I would say that that's the most important and most difficult skill for a palliative care provider. Earlier, you mentioned the the lack of awareness about palliative care in Malaysia and the lack of investment in it. Um, How many community hospices do we have across the country? Is it sufficient? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's a straightforward answer. It's no. Because, again, I I mean, I only have UK to compare with because I was there. But, you know, in every city in the UK, you'd have several hospices everywhere. You'd have separate hospice for... For, uh, for adults, separate hospice for children, you have community teams. So in every kind of, you know, small area or, or a certain area, you have a hospice. In Malaysia, we are still at the stage of at least one hospice in every state um, except Perlis. And uh, in Kla- Klang Valley, uh, we have the most hospices, six. So, but still, you know, that's, that's covering a huge area. And like I said, it's so hard. So we try to, among us, Take, diff, take up different areas um, so that we kind of together cover right. a lot of the area. But even then, we have to say no to so many uh, patients from either outside the areas of coverage or not, not in the criteria that we can accept. 
we really want to accept everyone, but we really need more resources. When we say resources, we mean, you know, staff, because again, it, it, this is, again, it's a new field. Um, people don't really know what it's about. So um, uh, recruiting staff, retaining staff is quite a challenge. Um, getting the right people for the job, you know, like I said, it, it, there are certain skills that you need to have um, and, and of course the money to run it. And that's because we're all charity organizations that need to fundraise to, to, to run our services. So, and, you know, with the pandemic and uh, current economical challenges, you know, it, it has been become a challenge to, to, to um, get those, those funds, but, but we're all still here. We're all still, you know, doing our best and because we really believe in what we do. You mentioned that even Clang Valley only has six and I mean, roughly there's about six million people, um, you know, in, in the Slango KL um, area and things like that. So that is a very, very little indeed. Um, what What is the impact of this? Because I'm wondering, how do community hospices um, improve accessibility to palliative care across the country? Yeah. So, okay, let's imagine uh, mm-hmm. a place without a hospice, right? Okay. So if somebody had um, a life-limiting illness and they were dying or they had symptoms that were very, um, that, that caused suffering, for instance, pain, or they had difficulty breathing, or they were just vomiting nonstop, what would you do? You would send somebody to hospital. You have no choice. Right. So that's the only you know, way that you can treat somebody with these symptoms. Where you have a hospice, that person can stay at home. It's, you know, it's it's life-changing. It's, you know, the, the hassle. I don't know anybody who's ever had to go into hospital or have a loved one go into hospital know how 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 uncomfortable and how difficult that, that journey is. Um, just being able to stay at home, knowing that somebody can come to your home, somebody can give you medication to stop those symptoms or at least reduce them. And somebody is available by phone call to say, oh, you know, um, this is going well or this is going not well. That didn't work. And, you know, just being able to get that medical advice. And and again, not just the, the, the medical side of it, but also the psychological and spiritual side of it. Again, that those services are not, not easy to come by in Malaysia. And, and that's what we provide. And again, it's so it's so hard to measure that. How do you how do you tell people about how? effective our services are it's so it, it's things that aren't you know, you can't see it right you can't see, it's so hard to measure but you know uh, again i think we have to think about how to do it because if we can anyway to, to show people that this is how much value or how much impact we are giving to those that we serve uh, but at the same time despite that we, we we soldier on because again we completely believe that this is crucial in somebody's journey, life journey. You mentioned um, psychological and spiritual support. What do you mean by that? So let's imagine if we were suddenly being given, or perhaps our loved one, let's Mm. say, suddenly being given a diagnosis of cancer and they only have three months to live. Mm. Just imagine the sort of emotions that that person goes through. If it was us, you know, it's like, oh my God, I'm dying in three months. I have young children. I I have a whole life of me that I envisioned and I'm not going to be able to achieve it. I'm am I ready spiritually to die? How how are my small children going to cope without me? How what would I do if I'm suffering? If I have pain, I have difficulty breathing right now. How is this going to get worse? Am I going to be shunned from the community? Um what will people think of me? Am I if I go through chemo, am I going to 
Is my appearance going to change? Right. Am I going to lose my hair? So many, so many fears and emotions mm-hmm. that comes with that. I'm dying. Who can I talk to about dying? What is dying going to be like? What is going to happen on the other side if I believe in another side? If I want to be closer to God in my journey, what do I do? Who can I ask? You know, these are, how, who do you ask these right. things? Even family members, you know, you may not be able to talk to family. Even friends may not be able to answer these questions. And you may not want to talk to them about that right. because they know a different side of you, the healthy, the happy side of you. These are fears that you yourself have. Who can talk to you about them? And we do. We do. We have these conversations with them. And it's such a relief, you know, for, for our patients and their families as well. Families are like, oh my God, my loved one is dying. How how can I support them? What if they suddenly, what if they suddenly die? What if what if they're in pain? What if, you know, all the what ifs, uh, you know, and I, I'm going to lose them. I'm struggling. Right. But yet I don't want to show them that I'm scared and I'm, I'm afraid and I'm angry. I'm angry. Why is this happening? So many emotions, mm-hmm. Dashran. It's and these are the things that you know that we really help them through. And um, yeah, that that's what it is about, really. Absolutely. Now, um, tell me, uh, Dr. Munira, about some of the programs and events um, that Kasi Hospice runs. Okay, so I actually I'm going to give you some figures. Okay. Before we get to that, All right. so. Just to give you a rough idea of, you know, again, what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so our, all our services are free of charge. Yeah? We charge zero, nothing for, for what we provide. And in the last four years for Kasi Hospice, we've seen more than 3,800 patients. We've spent more than 35,000 hours supporting our patients and families. We've traveled more than 330,000 kilometers, bearing in mind we go to patients' homes, you know, um, to wherever we cover. And we've loaned more than 4,200 equipments for the use of our patients. A third of our patients are between ages 18 and 60. So imagine that's not, you know, you imagine maybe dying patients or old patients. No, our patients are actually young patients and we've right. had even children under our care. And uh, and so this is just to give a right, the figures, you know, just to help people see that this is the kind of service we provide, mm-hmm. um, you know, in, in, in the background. And, and we hope to continue expanding, at least at least continue to provide that level of care and even more. So you are asking about programs and events. So so obviously I, I, uh, I shared that, you know, because we're a charity organization, we do depend on, on funds to run our organization and our costs are about 1.6 million per year. And uh, uh, the majority on 80 to 90% of our funds are actually public funds. So again, fundraising is a big thing for us. We have a charity fair coming up this Sunday. So um, I will tell you about that in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a golf uh, tournament recently, which which was which was amazing. Uh, lots of people turned up to that. And again, we're just trying to pick up again after the pandemic, because obviously with the pandemic, it was quite difficult to run these kind of events. Um, we also have closed events. So... Uh, in October, we have a Memorial Day for all our families of patients that have passed on. And uh, we do this every year um, by the pandemic to bring people together to share that very sad and precious and personal moment, mm-hmm. um, knowing that, you know, their journey, um, the grief that uh, somebody goes through after losing their loved one is not, there's no time to it. Um, and sometimes even that is difficult to share. How long do you grieve somebody Um perhaps forever. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so uh, we are bringing them together to, to share that grieving journey and also to appreciate their loved ones. 
Um, and so that that's a, that's a closed event. Um, we also in the prior to the pandemic, we run um, caregiver uh, caregiver workshops. So to, to help people learn how to provide care, um, uh, you know, within within the home. Um, we've had um, death cafes to you know to to talk about you know to t- kind of talk openly about death. We also advocate advanced care planning, uh, which we've done uh, especially through the pandemic about planning for the time when you may fall unwell and what right. kind of care you want to receive within that time. And actually, that's relevant to everyone. If you know, you could all of us could fall ill at any time, and especially if we fall ill to the extent that we can't make our own decisions what kind of care do we want and we can actually plan that now so that's something else that we believe in as well so so yeah but otherwise you know a lot of it is um uh, again um making sure we have enough funds to continue providing the very important services that we do and tuck tell me about this charity fair that is uh, happening this weekend Yes. Okay. So please do come. Um, this is our 12th annual Kasih Hospice Charity Fair. The first one was All in right. 2008 and the last one was before the pandemic in 2019. It's on Sunday, 4th of September, 9am till 2pm at the club at Bukit Utama. And we have 60 booths this year, which is actually smaller, uh, half the size it used to be, but we're kind of maintaining distancing measures and mm-hmm. trying to follow SOP as much as possible. We have food items like chicken rendang, no, chicken rendang cooked by our medical team. So this is even more like, you know, <laughs> That's <special>. fantastic. <laughs> We've got seaweed, sushi roll, rojak, nasi lama, and there's meat and vegetarian and also halal options as well. So hopefully suitable for everyone. And apparently the popular demand is bottles, the kinchan kedondong. Now, I don't even know what this is, so I'm looking right. forward to it as well. <laughs> We've also got plants and household items. So um, lots of things being sold uh, and many booth owners. So all the items sold are um, are actually either donated or sponsored by corporates and individuals. So 100% of the proceeds will actually go to Kasi Hospice Foundation. It's slightly different from other charity fairs. And so we are very thankful to all booth owners who've been setting up booths for the for the fair for a number of years, sponsoring their products and also volunteering their time uh, to run the booths. Um, and companies like Komugi, Vital Technical, Lekker, Sinhai Tang, and many more who have actually sponsored their products so that we can sell them at the fair. So we, we're really looking forward to it. And we really hope that um, people can come along and support us um, in, in, in doing what we do. Excellent. It sounds very exciting. I can't wait to check it out. Um, but if, let's say, people cannot make it um, this weekend, what are other ways people can support the organisation? Yes, thank you, uh, Dashran. So um, we have a website, kasefoundation.org. So you can check us there, you know, see, read up about the work that we do. You can look at our staff. I'll be there somewhere in the website. Um, and there, uh, there's a donation button, I would say. So if you feel you want to donate, um, uh, that's where you can do so. Those There have been people who donated coupons for the ch- charity fair. So then the coupons can be given out to whoever, like some have given coupons to the medical team or given right. coupons for other people to use if you can't attend the fair yourself. Um, that's also another way to do it. Um, and um, we have many activities coming out throughout the year. So follow our Facebook, follow our um, Instagram. Um, and we we previously, we did have a large cohort of volunteers and we, that kind of dwindled down, especially during pandemic. We kind of, you know, we had to keep it safe. But again, if you want to volunteer with hospice, come and see us. Come and, you know, see what we do, help out. 
in our very cozy little um, uh, office in PJSS3. Um, and there's lots of ways to help. So you could, you know, help out at our fundraising events. Stay tuned. Um, watch our website, watch our Facebook, watch our Instagram. And yeah, if you are coming on Sunday at our charity fair, come and find me. I'm Dr. Munira. I'm fairly easy to spot, but there'll be lots of people. But anyway, come and find me. I'm, I'm, I'll be more than happy to meet you and chat to you about any questions that you may have or just to say hello. It'll be, it'll be great. It sounds very, very exciting. Now, before we wrap this conversation up, Dr. Munira, would you have a final message? I'm so thankful, um, Dashan. I, I'm so grateful that you've invited me to speak today. I think, like I said, for us in palliative care and for us in hospice, um, uh, we we truly believe in what we do, which is why we are here. We really are, are, are compassionate and also passionate about this work because we believe it is absolutely crucial in everyone's life journey. Um, it is a very... Um, scarce commodity, I would say, still in the community, but so valuable. And if you speak to somebody who has received hospice care, you will hear that from the families or the patients. Um, and and we really want to spread this word. We want everyone to be aware about what palliative care is about, what hospice, what community hospice care is about. Um, we hope that if people need the care, that they can get it. Um, I, I, I dream and hope that one day Malaysia will have the full blown palliative care services in the community where everyone will be able to receive this special care in the final months of their life journey. And we want uh, people to die in comfort, die in peace. And we want families to know that there are people who will hold your hand and support you through this journey, and especially for the patients. We really value the support from the community, from the government as well, um, and, and just everybody. This is everybody's business, and we really want to, to make this, uh, you know, a, a reality for everyone um, because at the end of the day, when the time comes for us, we want to be able to receive palliative care. Absolutely. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dashran. It's been a pleasure. That was Dr. Munira Ibrahim, Family Medicine Specialist and Hospice Doctor at Kase Hospice. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan and this has been Good Things, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.